Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is, pod.com. We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them. We're talking about life and life to stream right to you from the microphone right to your home, dude. Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo, because there it is. Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thanks so much for joining us today. We have a really great episode for you. As always, today we have Magnet Theater's artistic director, megawatt director, and musical megawatt director, and instructor, Michael Lutton. That's a lot of stuff. That's one heck of a multi-hyphenate. <laughs> but Michael's great. He's doing it all there. And we have a really fantastic conversation about doing all of that stuff, instructing while also being three times over a director at an improv theater. And for those who don't know, Megawatt at the Magnet, those are house team nights. And if you don't know what a house team is, improv theaters put together groups of improvisers to be on a team together so they can perform weekly shows. They go through an audition process and the artistic director and the directors of the house team nights are usually different people. But at the magnet right now, it's one person and it's Michael. And he talks about what it's like to audition people and what the casting process is like. He's been on both sides of it. If you are an instructor, this is a great episode for you to listen to. If you are an improviser auditioning this is a great episode for you to listen to. And if you are a director in some form or fashion at an improv theater, really insightful, great episode for you to listen to. Also want to mention real quick that we have a new Patreon. If you want to also be a Patreon, you can. You can go to patreon.com slash there it is or thereitis. If you love there it is podcast, then you have thereitis. It's not a bad condition, but maybe you want to support. And we have a new person who is supporting the second tier. So we're very happy to have them on that second tier. They are going to remain nameless, but usually when you become a patron, we mention your name. We also have a new tier. We've updated our top tier on the website on Patreon, and it's for improv teams. Since Michael recently taught me in the coaching class, I am coaching now. And if you would like to send in one video a month and have me watch it and give notes on it, very detailed notes, and give you some exercises on things to work on and what to continue to be great at, I'm here for you. And we have that tier to help you continue to grow in your improv endeavors. So give that a look. Well, let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Michael Lutton. Thanks again for doing this. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You know, and trying to do research on people, always find new information, even if I've known them for years and uh, known you for years, but did not know that you went to George Washington, where you got a degree in, is it politics and history? Yeah, international politics and history. And what made you go into that track in college? Uh, you know, uh, I was always interested in history. That had been my, always my favorite subject uh, in, in school. And GW had an international affairs school that had a very low math requirement. So I could get a degree through the Elliott School of International Affairs with only taking like one math class over four years. And uh, 
that sounded good to me because math was always my kryptonite. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And now doing improv, you know, there's no math. There's comedy. There's no math, math at all. No, I, uh, so all of my teachers were wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's, I, you know, I'm old enough where like they used to make us, I do remember graphing calculators and all that stuff. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, we spent so much time with graphing calculators. Why did yeah. we do that? What? Yeah, and I don't remember any of those equations now. And I, I, no, uh, and I, I don't remember what that was supposed to teach us either. Uh, yeah, I wonder if they're just, instead of doing that, they're just teaching kids coding now. That would make perfect sense. I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that, that seems like a skill that, uh, oh, although I guess with, now with AI, that might cost the... True, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but at least for a while there, that, that would make perfect sense. Yeah, uh, who knows? Uh, what's the next thing they'll make them learn that's still not going to be beneficial to them as an adult? that <laughs> they can ignore when they become adults. Yeah. Right. It's also like, not to get off track, but it's sort of like when you hear people like DeSantis blocking books about black history and you go, yeah. uh, what are you teaching them in school that they're really right. going to use anyway? Just like let people learn about the truth and then, uh, let them ignore it as an adult like you're doing now anyway. yeah like that's the american way yes <laughs> that, <you learn> right <laughs> and then later on you decide you don't want to pay attention to but, uh, <laughs> right right society only functions if we all pay attention to the same stuff right early on mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i know that you started uh, doing improv in 2006 yeah. but you strike me as someone who was performing a lot longer than that uh, I always did, you know, theater was another thing that I always was just interested in. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was a theater kid uh, mm -hmm. growing up uh, and I, you know, in college, I wasn't a theater major, but I, uh, yeah, I spent all my free time doing, uh, oh. doing like the plays and stuff. So uh, that was another reason why I, I chose GW, unless you do all the theater stuff without necessarily having to get a major. Oh, that's cool. When I, uh, I finished uh, school, uh, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to do with this. You know, I, uh, right. I kind of, uh, I, you know, I didn't want to go to grad school, at least not immediately. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I just kind of flailed around. I applied to everything I could think of, uh, mm -hmm. right off the bat. So, you know, I, I auditioned for a couple of like touring companies. I applied mm -hmm. to think tanks in DC to see if like history degree might pay off. Didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like the only job I got straight out of college was to teach, uh, English abroad like uh, yeah yeah it was the second language uh in moscow Russia. oh so, wow uh, so i did that for for a year after college uh and then kind of had the exact same thing that i had at my senior year of college or was like what's well what's now what now uh, yeah so again applied to everything i could think of and the only thing that i got into was michael howard studios conservatory uh, here in new york city uh to go it was like a one-year acting conservatory and oh, uh, that's what I did for that first year. And that's how I encountered improv ah. through that program. Uh, Armando Diaz and Rachel Hamilton kind of tag teamed an intro to improv workshop two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, they came in, I think Armando and Rachel did uh, the second week. And that just kind of, that changed my life. That was a life change moment. Oh, wow. I just loved it immediately. I had never encountered long form improv. Like many people, when I heard improv, I just thought short. Right. Exactly. And I didn't know that long form was a thing. I didn't know that it was possible. It seemed to combine everything I liked about theater without, without taking so much of the self-seriousness out ah. of it, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Uh, 
And I just kind of never looked back after that. As soon as I finished that Michael Howard program, I uh, started doing magnet stuff. And I just stuck around. Oh, wow. Okay. When you did theater, was, was comedy what you really enjoyed doing most in theater? Or like, how mm. did comedy become such a big part? Why was it improv struck such a nerve with you? Is it the comedy of it or mm. what? That's an interesting question, uh, and I've never thought about it too much, uh, <laughs> so bear with me uh, here. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I did always, you know, I always enjoyed comedy very much, and I, I don't know if I would like to call myself like a true like comedy nerd. I didn't grow up like I stay comedy like like mm -hmm. some folks did, uh, but I always was attracted to it. And I always enjoyed it very much, mm -hmm. and like comedy performance was always much more fun to do than dramatic performance, in my opinion. Uh, so I suppose I did have like a, just kind of a natural like leaning towards it. So I guess, yes, that's to answer your question. I suppose, yeah, uh, I was always just kind of, I, I just liked that more natural. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with improv, you get that everything that you, uh, like I said, that I, everything that I liked about theater, that sense of like uh, that immediacy of being mm -hmm. in the room and like the unfolding of a story yeah. uh, in, in front of you in a very intimate way. Mm -hmm. Improv has all of that, plus that added element of discovery. You know that this is not rehearsed, and you right. have that discovery with the performers at the same time yeah. as the audience. And it created something just uh, that I found very special uh, and kind of worth pursuing. And for those who don't know, you're really big in the musical improv world as well as the improv world because you were on house teams that were musical improv and improv. Yeah. Obviously, straight forward improv non-musical improv was what you first experienced when it was long form because that was what that intro class was but when did musical improv become a part of the fold for you uh that would have been i guess around 2008 or 2009 uh okay. when, when tara copeland started offering musical improv as a as an elective f mag oh wow and i had gone through the, the regular training program and audition for megawatt uh, and I wasn't placed on a team my first audition round. And, you know, I kind of wasn't sure what to do next after that moment. You know, I'm sure like lots of well, well, what happened next? Um, and I saw that this was being offered as an elective and I had never heard of Tara. I didn't really know what musical improv was, but I thought, well, I like to sing, uh, yeah, and I like improv. I'm, so why not? I guess you did some musical theater. Uh, yeah, not, not, not that much to be honest with. Oh, okay. Uh, the uh, I had always enjoyed singing. I had been in the choir, I think, in high school, but I had never really like studied voice. But I always, you know, again, enjoyed it. So I thought, well, why not? Why, why not give it a shot? And that was just another kind of like life changing moment for me. That class with Tara Copeland. That's cool. Uh, she co-taught that with Frank Spitznagel, who's still our musical director today. Yeah. And it was just so so fun, right? You know, if you I, I, if you like musical theater, you know, musical improv is like the closest that you can get to making life like a musical where. You know, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that sense of like in musical theater where everything's heightened and, you know, you get to sing your feelings at any time. Musical improv kind of makes that possible for mm -hmm, you uh, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. a really fun way. And then uh, Tara, unbeknownst to us, was in the process of turning that into like its own program. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, at first it was just an elective, but she kind of then created a basic curriculum uh, to turn it into a full program and then mm -hmm. created teams oh, wow. for a of the musical improv performance, like the very first, you know, like class of people. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember actually she created musical level three and then kind of announced to the class on day one of the class that, hey, you're going to be teased that. 
Yes. And we had we had no idea that that was true to it. But uh, oh wow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it was like a backdoor into into the house <laughs> team system for me. Uh, just kind of like, uh, again, just by being right place, right time. Yeah. Was that your first house team? Yes, it was called Miracle Baby. Okay. Made up of um again, like how she split that class in half and two teams. We got regular shows uh in the very early days of theater. And I think like see who else is around Well, TJ Mannix is still still around and doing stuff around theater, but other than that, well but it was a it was a really oh, wow. cool experience. My yeah, very first team wow. Oh, that's cool. So when you got on a non-musical improv house team, mm-hmm. what was the time frame there? Oh gosh, that would have been shortly. I think after that. Uh, okay. And I'm, you know, again, the 2009, 2010 ish. I, I, mm-hmm, I haven't mm-hmm. done my, my homework here, but I think it was yeah my my second time auditioning for for regular non-musical megawatt. Okay. I, w- I was placed on a team uh, called uh, we weren't unfortunately that it's called King Canute, <laughs> and we. Uh, it was one of those teams where you, I don't know if you've ever had this experience yourself, but like, uh, we had great rehearsals uh, and everyone had a really good attitude. We liked each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vibe was great, but for whatever reason, we couldn't translate that to good shows. Interesting. But we just had huh. a run of pretty bad shows and we were cut fairly soon into the run. Uh, mm-hmm. We did not last long. Uh, it's kind of a mercy kill. <laughs> really? Like the, even yeah. was back then, was it? Like it is now where you get to the end of a season and they make a decision or. Uh, this was like in the still fairly early days where uh, the seasons weren't like quite codified, right? Like oh, right okay. now we, we do our very best to make it like six months is the length of the season. Mm-hmm. Again, the pandemic has kind of screwed that's that a little thing, bit. Yeah, but, sure. but that's that's the goal and it has been the way that we've done it for the past several years. It's like mm-hmm. six months seasons uh, and that everybody knows right up front, right? This is when your run starts, this is when the run ends and you will be either renewed or retired at that time uh and back then it wasn't quite as as okay it could be anywhere between like four to eight months kind of just depending Mm -hmm. on like the classes and all that stuff and i think we were about maybe four months okay yeah that's an interesting experience to have good rehearsals and to like each other and to have a vibe as as pals but it not translate yeah yeah, yeah, and to be honest, I've over the years I've hacked my brains about like why that was true. Well, what what was it? And I've never quite figured it out. There was just some X factor there that we that we were lacking. That's interesting. Yeah, could have just been. I think part of it, of course, is that you know we realized, uh, you know, a month or two in, we realized that something wasn't quite working. Mm-hmm. You know, we weren't. We were. You know, we we had a good coach. Uh, Morgan Phillips was the coach of that particular mm-hmm. team. Uh, who was great. And very insightful uh, and cared a lot about the art form. And so, you know, he was giving us very honest notes and feedback about our performances. I think we realized, for, again, for many of us, this was our, our first team. Mm-hmm. And I think it was part of it was that desire to do well, right? just show that we deserved oh, to be there. Oh, yeah. I think in the rehearsals, we were able to relax and have fun, enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. And then when the show started, though, like something clicked in our brains that, that it's like- Fear, basically. I, sure, yeah. I, and again, I can't speak for my other teammates here, uh, mm-hmm. but that that fear of like we must produce, we must, which, as you know, is right. maybe the surest way to uh, having to tell, a, a to tough show. show. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Like getting in your head. It's one thing if 
I mean, I know you're you're not saying that everyone on the team felt that way, but you know, I, I've seen it where one or two people on a team yeah. are that way. Um, I could even be that way now to a certain degree, just sure. because I feel like a show will go well, and I just feel like it's because of everyone else. Mm. Uh, I'll feel like oh, I didn't really do so great tonight. And when I'm yeah. guesting on a show, if I if it's a one-off thing or just like mm. a, once in a while I'm performing with this with this group, I will feel like I'll have a good show then. Like I will perform well on in those moments. And it's because there's no pressure. I I can't get cut. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's, yeah. No, I'm it's not true. on the team. It's just a thing that I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, getting to jump in. And I'm do. just dropping dropping by uh no it's true it's like we do our best improv when we feel relaxed we feel free to kind of do whatever and i think like subconsciously again this is not like conscious thing at anyone exactly um yeah subconsciously i was certainly guilty of uh trying to produce Mm -hmm. to to Mm -hmm. get that laugh to make work to make the big choices to stick out and Mm -hmm. as a result like the 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 joy that we found in rehearsals just died stage hmm. and failed to make successful shows interesting yeah and then after that of course uh re-auditioned and uh not cast again uh <laughs> yeah. which is another blow to uh to, to my ego uh, to my uh <laughs> self-esteem as an improviser mm-hmm. uh and i really thought that i had blown it i i, I had that was my one chance to like show that i deserved to be there and i blew it mm-hmm. it's convinced it's all over uh mm-hmm. thankfully it wasn't yeah, I mean, you've went on to be on several teams after that, both musical and non-musical improv megawatt yes. teams, as we call them at, at Magnet. One of which, an all-time favorite improv team. I've said it a bunch of times on here, but Body Work, Body Work is truly my favorite improv team. Those are that's my really, that's lovely to hear. I don't just mean at the Magnet; I mean in general. <laughs> like well, thank it. you. I, that's lovely to hear. Really, uh, no, Body Work was a joy. Uh, what a great and and it felt like even when people left and new people joined the same energy was always there yeah for for most of the run we were able to kind of uh keep that going and i think you know the things i was talking about like with, with king canute uh that were maybe not so successful uh the opposite was true on on body work where i don't think anyone took themselves too seriously on body work. And I don't think anyone was necessarily trying to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as a result, we were able to kind of suck around uh, and just, <laughs> yeah. uh, and as a result, like discover together, like, you know, fun or specific things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, like the, I always, there were, I, I can't remember. I think Liz Migliaccio was sort mm-hmm. of like down on herself about laughing during shows like breaking during the the flocking for people who don't know you all would flock together in a, in a mm-hmm. bunch and uh start sort of stream of conscious speaking like uh, first person would kind of mm-hmm. take the reins and everyone would join them and repeat what was said and add some details and it was a a sight to see because every element that is fun about improv was there it was really creative it was aesthetically, it looked really cool. Uh, there was a lot of support and yes anding. There was a very clear character dynamic, but then also it was always so fun and funny and silly because people were just 
laughing at their teammate and giggling, but staying in it and staying, staying like, like staying in the moment and, and yeah. staying in the character and still focusing on supporting their teammates, but couldn't help, but just have a blast doing it. And I think that really resonated with the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I think the slot really did serve us well. Um, and I'm trying to remember which of our coaches it was that helped us, uh, get there. It was either, it might've been Nick Nellis. It might've been Lewis Kornfeld. I'm so sorry guys that I don't remember exactly who <laughs> helped us come up with that. But yeah, it, it was, I, I agree with you because it was a great way to start the show off with simple agreements, right? And mm -hmm. getting everybody on the same page, kind of speaking in one voice, mm -hmm. but still because no one's like pushing or trying to, uh, you know, showboat or anything like that. We can still be surprised by the moves <laughs> choose to make in the moment. And having having the group get on the same page like that uh, immediately is really helpful. And that's just so you yeah. know, to, to any team out there, I would say, if you do an opening, make sure it's an opening that does that. Gets the yeah. team on the same page, gets you enjoying each other's choices <laughs> quickly, rather than an opening that kind of forces you to try and generate too much. Mm, that's a really good tip. Um, and uh, I'll have to file that away. Um, <laughs> so uh, you also famously are the artistic director at famously, Magnet. famously, <laughs> famously because <laughs> you have long you've for nine years you've been the musical program director, mm -hmm. and the, the musical megawatt director, and then became partly due to the the pandemic the yeah <laughs> the uh. uh megawatt yes director <laughs> and you're also the artistic director so you're famous, famously now you have all three of these hats which a lot of hats yeah for a long time uh three different people wore <laughs> mm -hmm. True. But, i have three hats on my head right now <laughs> yeah <laughs> since you were making decisions of cutting and you're in charge of auditioning yeah true and you've had this experience of getting cut and Lot, what yeah. that feels like yeah getting cut but then also not getting placed after auditioning and being like True. well what's next so how does that experience that you've had of not getting placed even after your first time auditioning and not getting replaced after yeah. re-auditioning and getting cut how does that experience play into your decision making as a director and mm. as the artistic director running the audition yeah, uh, it, I mean, I think it, hopefully I, I would, you know, we would need to check with folks who've auditioned and perhaps not been cast. I don't know how they would respond to this, mm -hmm. uh, but we try and, you know, make it humane, uh, as humane as possible. It might, again, it might not feel that way on the receiving end since I do have, you know, that understanding of what it's like on the other side of that table. And I remember that feeling very much like really wanting to make that team, wanting to uh, show what I could do. Uh, and to get that yes from people that I admire was also right. very, very important to me. Right. Uh, so I know what that feels like. Uh, and we do our best to make this process as humane as possible, even though it is a deeply flawed system. I don't think anyone would argue that the house team system is a great system. Just haven't figured out something better to replace it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What makes you say that? Because uh, there, there are a there are so many different opinions on that. There's some people mm. say there shouldn't be house teams at all. Sure. But then it's, I don't know that that serves a theater as well, because I feel like a theater should be able to say, 
we want to highlight what we do here. Exactly. And the best way to do that is to cast people who have studied there and do the the approach well. Yes. Um, and so I I am all for that. Plus, I'm also I, I'd somewhat say like we're adults. We should be mm -hmm. able to have failures uh, yeah. as well as successes, or mostly fail failures and still be okay with it not point fingers at everyone and blame them for our you know the state of our lives because we didn't get cast in something but um there Ooh, is also <laughs> but also at the same time there have been a lot of theaters that did it so poorly and mm. and cared so little about how people were receiving the information or how they were going through the experience that it does just become toxic all around. So it, it is hard yeah. to find a good balance. It's very true. Very true. You know, uh, the best teams tend to be formed by either attrition, right? Like over the years, like people, uh, people leave the team and new people join. And then you have like, it builds like, uh, kind of a team perspective is all, it, it is created right. naturally through that right. process. Uh, or the teams a uh, good teams are created just by people who happen to like each other uh and mm -hmm. who decide to come together and make their own thing mm -hmm. uh those tend to be the best groups um yeah. and you know with the with the house team system you are taking people who are who've been through the same training program which is definitely important um and who have like the same vocabulary for uh what makes successful improv comedy but there's of course no guarantee that any mixture of people is going to be successful and that's why I say it's a flawed system. Mm -hmm. And but I, but as you said, right, there does need to be something for people who finish the training program to to do afterwards, right? And the house team system does fill that mm -hmm. totally. And like you said, it can get very very toxic when anytime you enter uh, competition, or at least or even the perception of competition right. into an art form that is supposed to be collaborative, right? Right. Then you're gonna get a lot of sour grapes and a lot of very bad yeah which can be corrosive to to a, so yeah but that's why like i said we do our best to try and make it human mm -hmm. uh, uh magnet theater is still we're still small enough that we mm -hmm. can give personal attention to folks yeah mm -hmm. and we try and make it very clear that everyone who auditions like your teachers are happy to talk to you and give you feedback uh because a lot of the teachers are there uh it's for true. auditions yeah. it's not just the artistic director sitting and watching everyone it's, it's oh, that would a, be awful. a team oh yeah <laughs> it, it would be but there are theaters that have done it that way <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah and but the way i always appreciated the way magnet approaches it because maybe someone hasn't really been in front of the artistic director a lot but <laughs> this these two teachers have and this other mm -hmm. teacher has and then it's not even it's not even just teachers and the artistic director it's even performers who have, yeah, who, we do try and get a, a bit of a mix on the on the panel, right? Um, you know, we need to, the artistic director needs to be there to just kind of make the final decisions. Mm -hmm. But we also want someone who has seen everybody in class, right? So mm -hmm. the person who teaches advanced level two to be there uh, mm -hmm. on the panel as well. We try and get uh, other like veteran performers sometimes just sit in to kind of be almost like a neutral voice, just to say like, uh, I like that I didn't without having like the baggage attached that at some point, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
because it's great. You know, of course, when you have uh, your teachers behind the audition table, they have a sense of like your habits and they've seen you perform under multiple, in multiple circumstances. Right. Uh, which is great, but it can also be a little uh, biased. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you know, oh, it's like, because uh, I've seen this person like progress from level one to now, it's like, I, I, I feel invested in them. Um, and so it's hard to be neutral in those situations. So having right. like, other voices there who have never seen any of these performers before uh, can be also very useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that is a great way to do it. And, um, you know, there, there are a lot of theaters that adopt that sort of approach. Um, but yeah, you know, it is something that it is, it's not to me such a gamble to, uh, say like, well, these eight people, uh, they seem to have a similar style. Let's put them together and see, uh, cause it's also partly what you do with the callbacks is true. We try, is, we try. <laughs> yeah. You know, you try to identify people you, who theoretically, uh, you might put on a team together. So they you might match them. Right. Before even just making a team decision. Um, and then it is like going into the season. It's like, well, this, these people are good. They had a good vibe in the audition. They have a similar style or they complement each other. Well, it could be great or it could yep. be good. And yeah. you know, yeah, maybe we'll get a season or two or maybe even three seasons, Yeah, but not necessarily and, uh, one of the classic teams that people will right. talk about forever. Like that's, that is, you know, few and far between, I guess. <laughs> true. That is very true. Yeah. Uh. yeah. What is the thought behind, like when you are putting teams together, I mean, maybe we've already even touched on it, but mm. when you are putting teams together, you aren't saying, well, this team's going to be amazing, but you're saying this team would be has potential. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to do behind the audition table is just put together eight people that I think their styles will complement each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it doesn't necessarily mean like finding, like, I think these people all perform the same way and I'm going to put them together, but like trying to say, uh, well, this person uh, takes really big swings and makes big choices goes for big characters. Mm -hmm. uh, that's fun energy, but I want to make sure that I counter that with someone who I know is also able to ground make, uh, you know, uh, simple world choices that will feel real to the audience so that we can mm -hmm. uh, balance these two things. Uh, yeah. And, and that's, I think, what it comes down to is just balance, right? Finding mm -hmm. styles of play that uh, will complement each other and not... Um, uh, so that, that our habits don't uh, get away from us. If that right. makes sense by with, so putting you with people around you where like your habits uh, or your natural inclinations will be celebrated, but that mm -hmm. won't turn into like a bad habit. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It's, and I guess it's also casting people who aren't like someone with a nar narcissistic sort of stage yeah. performance style is someone you try not to audition. Like, not, not uh <laughs> bring true. in and put on a team but right. um so you're, you're speaking more to uh it, i don't know how many people know about the ninja robot pirate e. theory but i've heard of this but i to be honest i'm not that familiar with it it's I think about I've heard people use it. it's a it's a great book about the three different styles of mm. like people fall into different categories and they could be a combination no one's really 
just one right but someone might be more of a robot where they are very analytical Mm. and they figure out what needs to be in the scene and then the a ninja comes in and can like a ninja come in unnoticed and yeah make a really big choice or do something that has a big impact but they can get in and get out in a very uh smooth way whereas a pirate is someone who (laughs) jumps in and drops a bomb and it's like they're big big performer big character all of those are great and uh they're bad versions of everything of course but Mm -hmm. in and of themselves those things are are great and fine to be and what you're speaking to is more like okay these couple people we want to put on a team are robots uh we just to spice things up let's get a a pirate in there <laughs> you know, I, like I, I suppose so yeah some things out yeah 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 because again we all have like like you like i guess this theory states or uh as, as you were saying like uh we all have like a kind of natural right the mm-hmm. best improvisers of course can do pretty much anything right there when they're called upon mm-hmm. to do so uh, right they've got all the different skills and they can employ them uh when when needed but everybody's got their own kind of natural Right. Right. Uh, and trying to find a place where that style is going to be appreciated uh, mm-hmm. and celebrated by the people around them and where that, but that won't, that might also challenge that particular style as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, sometimes I like to try to see, like, I know this performer can do this very well, but I'd love to see them do blanks a little bit more. Uh, oh. And so, to challenge them or to help them grow, I might put someone on that team that would. I think deliberately kind of forced them to do others. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that as uh kind of an approach, but yeah. And it's still just seeing the potential for someone to make certain kinds of choices. Mm-hmm. They just tend not to, for whatever reason, which could be exactly numerous reasons why they don't. But a, a lot of times it's just, they don't feel confident that they can make those choices, but playing with yeah. certain people, they have to, and then they can learn that they actually are good and get confident about making those other choices that yeah, it's not something they utilize as much. Yeah, that's the goal sometimes. And so, like, I hope, you know, for here, you know, this process is not very personal, uh, as you yeah, can yeah. also, right? It's, it, it all, the discussions that happen behind the table are always about style of play. Right. Uh, most people, pretty much everybody that, that auditions and everybody who makes a callback is, you know, has the skills necessary to be on a team, probably could Absolutely. be successful on the right. And so what will happen behind the table is like we're very often just kind of, uh, you know, moving names around and seeing like if there's like the seed uh, of a potential team mm. there. And it has almost nothing to do with the individuals on that team, but everything to do with different styles. Um, right, right. And this is something that I also try and stress when I meet with folks after audition. You know, like, uh, teams like, very rarely it's because somebody did something bad and it's never because we don't like something. Right. Uh, it, it's always just like, I didn't see a space for your particular style where mm-hmm. you would be successful this time around. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that truth tends to be a little unsatisfying to folks. Uh, as you Honestly, imagine. yes, but it is the truth. It is the reason. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's something that, I mean, no one, no one wants to hear well, you don't really understand the casting process. <laughs> yeah, like that's obviously that's stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. something you can tell somebody. But, you know, essentially explaining to them like, well, you know, you are good enough to be on a team, but there are only so many spots and 
we were we were placing people together who seemed to match you yeah like and it could even it could easily be you matched with these five people but we need eight people who match together not yeah. six yeah you know it's it's you know how the cookie crumbles and that's certainly going to be disappointing yeah it's understandable to be disappointed if it's something you wanted to do with your time yeah um, but it really is not anyone saying well they're just not good yes <laughs> but that is also how it feels right that is how yeah. it feels sometimes especially when it's your first time audition especially if you are fresh out of the program uh and if you're not an actor if you don't come from an acting background and you're not used to audition right that whole process seems very opaque uh and it seems deeply personal even though it is the opposite it's, it's remarkable yeah, I know as an actor how much, I mean, even just going into acting when I first started, I said, I'm going to hear no a whole lot more and I hear yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hurts, a whole man. lot more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hurts. I mean, <laughs> there have definitely been some uh, roles I wish I had gotten. But at the end of the day, I weathered those storms. You know, it's I, I don't hold on to it long because I got it going in, but the average yeah. person doesn't know that even if they are going into, in, into improv, they don't yeah. know that that's the thing that that's just such a common thing in this, in all of this, when you're, when you're auditioning, I mean, I, I, I could talk to a best friend now and say, Oh, I didn't get this part. And they'd be like, Oh, that sucks. And I'm like, not really, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. how it is. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's a thick skin you develop as an actor over, over sure. a year. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some people who do improv auditions are actors and they have that attitude towards the process. Uh, but many, you know, as we know, many improvisers are actors. They're, they're right. you know, uh, they're just folks who, who love this and do this in their free time. Right. Um, and for them, you know, who, people who don't have that, those calluses developed over years and years mm -hmm. of hearing mm -hmm. no uh, from shadowy casting people, uh, you know, it doesn't, uh, they, don't, they don't have that thick skin. Uh, mm -hmm. And as a result, it just, it hurts much more. Uh, yeah. What advice do you have for people who don't get cast and they are, they do deal with that disappointment? You know, I, my advice is always just, you know, do what you gotta do. If that is like, you know, a, it may, for some people it's going to be to, uh, maybe take a bit, bit of a break, uh, you know, go lick your wounds and maybe pursue something different for a little while, but don't disappear. Right. Uh, try and remind yourself why you were attracted to improv in the first place. Mm. And there's always going to be uh, opportunities to perform. And maybe the house team system isn't going to be, you know, the, your route to performing regularly. Uh, but that's okay. I'm always mm. on the lookout for new shows. And I always try and make a point to say that, you know, Megawatt or the house team night is just one road to performing. There are multiple right. nights uh, of programming, and I'm always on the lookout for shows. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't believe me when I say this, but it's true. It's absolutely true. So um, uh, I encourage people, like, you know, make their own fucking show. You don't need mm -hmm. the house team uh, to do it. Obviously, the housing system is nice because you have a, yeah. you know, you, you're, you're forced to rehearse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have a, <laughs> and you you have a schedule, show every right? week. And you, right. have, and you have a, a weekly show uh, that is scheduled for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't have the discipline to make their own schedules and hire their own, but that's certainly, sure. you know, that's not that hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if it's, you know, if the work excites, you, if the work is important mm -hmm. to you, mm -hmm. you will find ways to do it, uh, that aren't 
necessarily the house team weight. Um, right. And there's and that is totally legitimate. Totally legitimate because, you know, it is, especially coming out of a pandemic, uh, it was an adjustment to go back to two nights a week of doing something out uh, for many. And so, yeah, you know, like they, yeah. they bounced back, they got back to that, but that was not the thing for a couple of years. And <laughs> so they maybe experienced some anxiety of going back into that, sure. but maybe even before the pandemic, two nights a week felt like a lot to you. So like maybe do like make a team and you only rehearse once or twice a month and you sure. try to do a show once every month or two, you know, like that's yeah, fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, there's and, no, yeah, there's really no yeah. rules to any of this, right? So you, <laughs> right, right. Hey, whatever you want to do is possible <laughs> to do. Right. Uh, and <laughs> I also encourage people to maybe like, you know, branch out a little bit, uh, mm -hmm. you know, be it like, uh, maybe, maybe go back and try and big sib a class. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, at Magda, we have the big sibling program where if you've mm -hmm. been through the program, you can uh, go back and retake lower levels um, mm -hmm. and kind of like be an extra resource for students in those classes, be the mm -hmm. person that like takes notes and like encourages folks to see shows and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that can be a great way to brush up on the basics and also remind yourself of why you like it in the first place. Yeah. Uh, or maybe try like, you know, a musical class. Uh, yeah. You know, that's what happened with me. Uh, and it ended up changing my life. Uh, right. When I took Eric Oakland's musical level one class uh, or take a sketch class. Right. You know, something like right. that. It's a very that's different. It's very different art form in many ways. But it's another fun way of looking at comedy. Right. Um, right. And, and there are uh, plenty of venues as well, too. If, you know, if someone wants to put up a show at the pit, they can do that. They don't. Yeah. You know, like or wherever you live, there are multiple places that you can do shows. Yeah. If you're a first time uh, auditioner and you don't make a team uh, try and remember that, right? Like that it is not the, the end of the world. And there's no real police in this situation. Just because one artistic director says not this time doesn't mean that you are done. Right. And some people need to take a little bit of time. Again, like wounds, take a break. That's fine. Right. But try and remember why you loved it in the first place. I believe, yeah. you know, I, I firmly believe that improv is good for the soul. So I don't want anyone to ever stop doing it just because an audition didn't work out the way they want to. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing. I, I guess it's mostly shiny, happy people with improv because you, you're taking classes and you're growing in these ways and it's fun. And then at the end of the curriculum, the opportunity, <laughs> the immediate opportunity is to audition. Yeah. And so if you don't get cast, then there is that devastation of well, i've been doing this for so long how do like, yes it's become such a part of my life so i understand the disappointment but i would strongly encourage to take a take a beat if you need to take a beat but don't mm -hmm. disappear i totally exactly. agree with that yeah like go to the jams and put you know get together a practice group or even an indie team and have uh, some show ideas and throw stuff out there because yes Duo shows are op opportunities as well. Absolutely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, are have you experienced anyone saying? Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you've maybe not about you, but uh, I'm sure in the past you've heard people say, uh, "Well, I want to be the megawatt director or the musical megawatt director. I will make the right decisions all the time." <laughs> uh, 
no one's ever been uh, dumb enough to say that to me, uh, in, <laughs> at least in person. Uh, oh. But before, I'm sure you heard somebody say like, oh, I should do it. Uh, I'm, sure. Before yeah, you ever. Yeah. yeah. Hey, and, and maybe they would. Who knows? Right. Maybe they would be fucking great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they would also upset people just like they are upset. That's the thing exactly. I always remember. Whenever somebody is upset at the director for the director's choices and they say something like, I would just do it this way. Yeah. You'd still be leaving out a lot of people who would 100% think they should be in. Yeah. No, it's very true. I, I think, you know, most people, again, are adults and, and you know, right. understand that it's, <laughs> you know, we don't live in a perfect world and nobody can be happy all the time. Right. But, you know, again, in the heat of the moment, people do sometimes say dumb stuff. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's another thing that, you know, I would remind folks of that, you know, remember, it's important to remember that the way we handle disappointing news says a lot about the kinds of people we are. Right. Uh, and if you don't make a team and you have a meltdown uh, and you, you know, go online and start talking shit, uh, <laughs> or if you, Mm -hmm. uh, try and, you know, burn every bridge, uh, that you built over the past couple of years, right? That does say something about who you are and it will affect the ways you are perceived by the community moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, so again, this doesn't, this happens very, very rarely, sure. uh, but we've all, yeah. we've seen it, we've seen it over the years yeah. uh, and it's a good thing for people to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, taking a breath is always. <laughs> Easy. Yeah, yeah. Don't hit send on that email. Like, let it sit right. in the draft folder for a night. Right, right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will refrain from saying uh, a, a quote my brother almost teases me for saying. Um, but yeah, just like, don't hit send is a, a really good one. <laughs> um, uh, I, I'll float this idea, and I'm just curious as what you would say. Would you ever be open to an indie team that came out of classes that like they went through all of the curriculum, but they are an indie team from magnet. Mm -hmm. uh, if they pitched themselves as a group, as a, a, a house team, would you allow a group to audition? Uh, no, uh, okay. I, I don't think I would allow them to necessarily audition to be like, uh, to, to be like on a, on a, on the house team, nice TV. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I w however, I would absolutely consider a group like that for another time slot somewhere okay. in the week. Uh, again, the house team system is quite specific. Yeah. Um, and in order to be on a house team, you must go through that specific system. Well, what uh, if they the did though? And then after the. <laughs> right. So you mean like, let's say for example, like they were in a, if they were at advanced level two. Mm -hmm. team and like they happen to be fucking awesome uh, <laughs> yeah. can they be a team on mega wild yeah i would probably again say no uh okay. again uh i i don't want to dismiss it 100 uh, just off the bat mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one goal that i have and part of like making the system humane like i said mm -hmm. is to make sure that everyone gets treated the same. oh that's a good point and so I would want to make sure that everybody, uh, you know, everyone who's in that audition pool is being judged by the same criteria as everybody mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. And if there's like a separate eight people that are getting like, quote unquote, like special yeah, treatment, that's kind of special that treatment, would, yeah. yeah, it would end up, I think, uh, ruining 
Well, not necessarily brooding, but it would, again, lead to some, a lot of potential there for very bad feelings from other folks. Sure. Uh, and so I would say if that, if that happened, like if you had your tea that went through the program, uh, then, and you're determined to stick together, I'd totally respect, uh, mm -hmm. let's put you on another night, uh, and let's see if you can develop a following, develop an audience, kind of develop a voice on another night. Mm -hmm. uh, that'd be great. Uh, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. Uh, yeah. But that would be different than a house tune. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That No, that makes sense because they would be getting special treatment. If a group said, hey, can we just audition together? Yeah. <laughs> then they would be getting completely different treatment than everyone else. Okay. I'm I'm just thinking of ways to like shake up. If, yeah. To no, maybe, please. Uh, please keep doing this. And uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast, please. Uh, <laughs> any new uh, ideas? Can yeah. Any new it? ideas? Any, any ways of approaching? Uh, that system or developing talents, mm -hmm. uh, please, 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 please. I'm, um, one of my goals as artistic director is just to, uh, find more ways for people to continue to grow as mm -hmm. improv artists. And, you know, the house team system is great for that. Um, you know, giving people that chance to grow together as performers, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's the only way to do it. So, uh, any other ideas are, yeah. are welcome. Yeah. I imagine the pros to being the artistic director as well as the musical and non-musical megawatt director is that you have a vision and you don't have to explain that vision to two other people because you are those two other people. Because <laughs> I am those two people. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Uh... <laughs> but <laughs> I imagine, though, it's a it's a lot of extra work in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, it is. And to be honest, I don't know how sustainable this is. I mm -hmm. think, you know, moving as, as we continue to emerge from the pandemic and as mm -hmm. we continue to get back on our feet, uh, I, I think the next step will be to find uh, directors for both musical house team night and the musical house team. Mm -hmm. uh, just because at the moment, because, you know, in addition to all of these artistic directing hats, I'm also, of course, an instructor uh, at, mm -hmm. UCM, yeah. at the theater and uh I, I teach a lot and yeah. because of my teaching schedule, I'm also not able to be there all the time. Yeah. And I think for the night to really thrive, there needs to be one person kind of overseeing things who is there all the time. Yeah. Um, someone who's just invested uh, in the teams and is able to, because at the moment I'm able to keep, I'm able to be there for most of the nights uh, mm -hmm. and I'm able mm -hmm. to have a general sense of like teams progress. Uh, but I'm not able to see quite uh, as much as I'd like to yeah, I get that. from every team. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so having a designated director who's able to kind of really be there for each team, for all of their shows in a run, mm -hmm. I think would, we, it, will, it will make a difference. And so I'm hoping that we can get there soon. Yeah. I'd love to do a megawatt drag. That'd be such, to me, a fun thing. Cause I'd love to see everybody. <laughs> I don't know if I have the resume yet to <laughs> to do it, but I it'd be it'd be super fun to like uh, be a part of that and and uh, uh, try to like place teams and and everything. But yeah, there are a lot of challenges of like you know wanting everyone to feel like they still have significance in the community is is a big deal with yes making those those choices and it's 
it's a hump for people to feel like they are a, a valued member of the community when they didn't get cast. But yes, that's a tough conversation to have. It is. It is. And one reason why another reason why I would like to have directors to have other people have those discussions. And right <laughs> yeah. now I'm having all of them. You're having lot. a ton. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, that is a lot. Well, we've reached the end of the episode. Uh, I'd love to create something together. And All right. I feel like a lot of what we are talking about is essentially guiding people, I feel yeah. like. So what tips would you have for somebody who is teaching or coaching? So, yeah, you mean like, uh, like what are some guidelines for coaching? Guidelines? And like, uh, yeah, guidelines and then any sort of general advice. Because, of course... If they're they're teaching, there's a curriculum that they're trying to yeah. unfold on, on people. And if they are coaching a house team, they're trying to keep the spirit of the theater there. Yeah. How do you do that well? E. But then also guidelines that are good for people to follow in those sort of roles. I'd say maybe number one, uh, or at least a draft number uh, would be just to make sure that you're meeting people where they're at. Hmm. As a coach or an instructor, you have to be able to identify where people are at the moment. Like, what are their strengths in this moment? Uh, what are the things that they need to work on? And try and tailor any exercises or feedback that you give to where they are now and not where you think they should be later. Oh, okay. So, for example, if you have uh, a performer who is, you know, very comfortable uh, initiating but has trouble... Uh, you know, uh, trouble in those moments where they're the yes and is not so that they're expecting, right? Mm -hmm. um, you want to kind of like, okay, well, that's obviously someone who likes to be in control of things. And mm -hmm. so you need to make sure that when I give them feedback or give them an exercise to work on, uh, it's kind of tailored to where they are at this moment. You can't just say, hey, you do this, don't do this. <laughs> but try and like give them, give them a challenge, for example. Well, today we're going to focus on like surprise moments uh on stage mm. and you know get them like you got to prime the pump for them you got to yeah. guide them to that water and hope to uh, build that's helpful because there are a lot of people who will say don't do this but that's not a really good note because you got to tell them yes. what to do yeah. yeah 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 or at least at least show them what else is possible right you know? right um when you're coaching or instructing, it's all about trying to find ways to set people up for success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of that is, you know, celebrating what they do well. And part of that is also having a clear eye as to what they need to work on. Mm -hmm. And then once you identify that, don't like berate them for it, but mm -hmm. really try and tailor the rehearsal to work on those specific things. Okay. What sort of pitfalls would you say people can avoid? Yeah. Uh, hey, don't tell people what you would do. <laughs> I'd see that that's one of the biggest pitfalls. And again, uh, because you, you know, uh, everyone who's coaching or, uh, or, or teaching is also a performer, right? And so we have our own styles of things, but you can't try and make people do what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think this is a mistake that new coaches often make where they, uh, one of the least helpful notes you can give is like, well, I would have done this in that situation. That is right. not helpful. No. You kind of have to take your own ego out of it. And again, focus on these folks in front of you and where they are at. Mm -hmm. And don't make it about you. I, I guess that's maybe the best uh, 
uh, the best guideline is uh, it's not about you. It's about the people that you are coaching or instructing. Yeah, that's good because don't make it about you plays out in so many ways. Because, I mean, the yeah. first thing people would think of hearing don't make it about you is don't start performing for them and show to show how they could do it, like you were saying. But also don't get caught up in how good you think you are or, or how bad you think you are mm -hmm. in that role. It's not about you. It's about them. So focus on them and figure where you can help them. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Well, there it is, Michael. There Thanks it is. For doing the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Jason. Thank you for having me. I hope you got something out of that, especially if you are an improviser who has had a tough go of auditioning. I hope this encouraged you to keep at it, to get back out there, to find your love of improv again. It is still a great endeavor and you are still great regardless of whether or not you get cast on a team. Also, if you want to know more about what the Magnet Theater has going on, go to magnettheater.com. Follow The Magnet on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Magnet Theater. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at There It Is Pod. And subscribe to our YouTube channel at There It Is. And follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes and Instagram at Jason Farr Picks. Also subscribe to our Comedy Lifestyle newsletter. And don't forget, you can support us if you can. We have a Patreon and a PayPal. Go to ThereItIsPod.com for newsletter and support info. Links in bio. We have a really great episode next week. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. Mm -hmm.